As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back, Prospects to Pros on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Dane Brugler, as always, with my scouting buddy, Lance Zerline. Mock Draft 2.0 is up, and I tell you, the feedback so far has been a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of interesting discussions about you know team building and strategies, and we, we have a lot to dive into with this mock, including my three reasons why I believe teams are going to be more aggressive uh, in this draft for quarterbacks. Uh, but first, uh, you know, Lance, we had a new national champion. So let, let's start there. You know, we, it's funny, we talked last year at this time about LSU and that offense, how special of a group that was. And now here we are a year later, we have an offense that I, I won't say is better, but what Alabama did this year uh, on the offensive side of the ball was remarkable. And it, it you know, that uh, national title performance is just the exclamation point. And the fascinating part about it was last year, Joe Burrow was the catalyst of that offense. This year, it, it wasn't just one one guy that you can point to. It was a rare collection of impact ingredients. You had the play calling with Sark. You had Najee Harris developing into a dynamic back. Uh, you had Devontae Smith getting open at will. Uh, the offensive line received the Joe Moore Award, which I know um, is something that's important to you. And you know you vote on that award as the best offensive line in the country. And then you have Mac Jones, who we've talked about before, um, uh, how difficult of an evaluation he is, but all he does is execute. So uh, I don't I don't know where to start. So I'm just going to open it up to you, Lance, and say, okay, from a scouting and NFL prospect perspective, what were your takeaways from, you know, Alabama season, but then, you know, just also how it culminated uh, in that national title Monday night? Well, it was an unusual season in that, as you mentioned, there were no real star players other than uh, Devon. I'm talking about Alabama level superstars. Mm-hmm. Um, Devontae Smith won a Heisman, so I guess that's as close as it gets. But he's a very unassuming player. He's a very humble player. Um, he's not a braggadocious player. He's just really, really uh, an exceptional talent. Najee Harris, I thought, really made a lot of money this year and showed a different side to him. That pass catching side showed that he had, you know, maybe a little bit of what Josh Jacobs had, the ability to do some things outside of the backfield that adds to his value as a three down back in terms of the season. Leatherwood to me is kind of the same guy. I think he's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a little bit better, but he's kind of, I think he is who he is. The rest of them. I don't know that anyone, it was just a story about a team. It was a story in this in the world we live in right now where it's so much about individual now than it than it is about team. You could see how refreshing it was for Nick Saban, who mm. recruits five stars and has to deal with individuals and getting them to, you know, to buy into team. I he loved this team. You could tell it's probably his favorite team to coach of all time because they had such a team element and guys playing for each other and with each other. Jalen Waddle trying to make it back for the national championship game, probably against better judgment. That says all you need to know about Jalen's desire to be out there. Landon Dickerson. How about that? He's got his wrist tape, hands taped. He's got his knee braces on. Like 
he got in for a snap at the end of the game, <laughs> but for Landon Dickerson to suit up, like legit suit up, go through the taping and everything, that tells you about him. It tells you about Jalen Waddell and about that Alabama team. Now, specifically the game, you know, I, it felt like some of the, the big Justin Fields momentum slowed down with mm-hmm. that game a little bit. It wasn't bad. I just, you know, I didn't feel like it was overwhelming. There wasn't a lot he could do in the second half, and he was – hamstrung a little bit because of the injuries mm-hmm. you know sermon you feel bad for sermon and wyatt davis injured yeah. in that game both sermon and wyatt davis that was a real shame to see that happen i think christian barrymore clearly has announced his presence with authority and i think this will slingshot him into the first round into the pros really nick could work his magic and talk i haven't seen as he mentioned that he's out for sure no, no. And he's only a Richard sophomore. So technically he's got two more years, but he has yet to announce as of this taping that he's going to be part of this class. Yeah, I know a lot of people kind of assume he's going in, but Nick does a pretty good job of getting guys to, you know, to come back and, and bolster their potential stock. It was more of the same for Sean Wade, just really yep. disappointing season. And and who didn't know that was going to be a blowout against uh, Devontae Smith. But mm-hmm. now you're left, you're stuck with the knowledge that, he may not be a good fit as an outside slot. I don't think he's quick enough to be an inside guy. And I thought his effort level really looked poor at times. He's either not yes. fast or was not playing hard at times in that game. He's a, he's a safety. I mean, he has to be a safety because, uh, yeah, I agree with everything you just said. And it was, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if he, it just looked like he was running with ankle weights on. And I don't know if that's effort or if that's just, how fast he is. I, he He's really tough. I, I He's got a tough decision to make about, uh, I mean, it really, it shouldn't be tough because he should be going back to school to get better. But if Ohio State's not going to use him in the best way in terms of moving positions or, you know, then it maybe it's not in his best interest to go back and hurt himself even more. But it, it's, just, he's, he's got a, a tough, uh, tough week here. The deadline is next Monday for underclassmen to declare. So he's got a, you know, a big decision to make here coming up. Who did you think? Who was? Uh, is there somebody who stood out in that particular game or in the run-up that that you think really was was somebody that that really helped their stock? Yeah, Barmore definitely stands out, um, and I, I think there's he he's been defensive tackle number one for me since the summer, but it was based more on potential than anything else. And then towards the end of this year, it really started to come on for him, and there's a little bit of a concern in that because you know you wish you had more tape of him just simply being dominant. You look earlier this year, there there are games you wouldn't even know he played. So there's a little bit of a concern there because he doesn't necessarily have the full body of work, but he's a very young player who's really coming into his own, and the talent is clearly there. So Barmore definitely stands out. Uh, For Ohio State, I don't think we talk enough about Jeremy Rucker at the tight end. Um, I tweeted before the game that if Ohio State was going to pull the upset, Justin Fields obviously was the key. But Jeremy Ruckert was the guy on offense that needed to have a big game, uh, not only working the seam, working the middle of the field, because he's very good at that, but also as a blocker. And we saw that. The, the one Master Teague touchdown, he had a, a terrific combo block that just really cleared the way. Uh, I, I think Jeremy Ruckert has a chance to be one of the first three or four tight ends drafted if he comes out. We'll see. He has yet to make his decision. You know, overall, it's just Alabama dominated. And, you know, for... That that offense, that defense, there there's gonna be a lot of turnover because a lot of guys are gonna be leaving. But you know, it just we saw we saw a lot of future pros on the field, and you know, I, I think when you look at uh, the, at Ohio State offense, that Chris Olave, uh, Patrick Sertan matchup, I thought there were I have yet to see the tape, so I, I don't I don't want to go too far into who won that matchup. It, just because. Olave was pretty quiet doesn't mean that necessarily Sertan won because there were some times where I, I saw number two uh, have some space and get open. Um, but, you know, it's the the Alabama corners uh, did a pretty nice job to you know really give fields, uh, make him do a double clutch, make him think about it. Um, he really wasn't able to just let loose and uh, didn't see it many times where those Ohio State receivers got that free release and then won over the top. So, um, you know, the Alabama defense had a much better game plan, much better execution than what we saw from Clemson. I'm going to go on the record right now. I just think, uh, and this is no disrespect intended, but I think Mac Jones is a solid game manager. He throws with good accuracy, good touch. 
uh, has quick eyes, get, knows what he wants to do. I don't, I don't love the arm. Mm-hmm. I don't love the mobility. I think he gets a little nervous as a, you know, when it comes time to make the big run, I, I see him slide early. A lot of times, I don't think he's very comfortable in the pocket when it gets heated up and rarely was he, I think things were so optimal for him this year. And I really do worry on the next level about whether or not, yeah, I don't project him as a first round quarterback. I project him as a low end starter personally. And to me, that would be more like a third, uh, a third round pick realistically second, but I've got like a third round grade on him and I like things about him, but I think he is a product of the system in this particular case. And I think things are going to have to be really optimal for him uh, on the next level to succeed. Now, sometimes that happens, but other times you've got to elevate the plays of others around you. And I, I just don't know that he is that type of guy um, across the way, Justin Fields. I do think Justin Fields over time has kind of made me feel better about where I had him earlier in the year. He's, he's helped me regain some confidence, but I'm going to throw the tape on here uh, probably tomorrow and take a look at he and Olave together and write them up on the same day because I wanted this Alabama game. I wanted to be able to get my hands on that tape. And uh, I'm, I'm interested to see. I don't go in with a preconceived notion, and so I'm interested to see what I, what I think about where Justin Fields is. I think what's interesting is when I looked at your mock two, you know, Right now, and of course, mock drafts. So I think we I always feel like we have to tell people this because people get confused all the time. And I want to make sure this is what you're doing. Mock drafts for us are typically what we anticipate happening, not what we would do if we were GMs for each of these teams. In a way, we are because we're placing players there, but it's also based on trying to uh, make a, a, a calculated and well-reasoned assumption about who could go in these different places based on team needs and our expectations of how these players will fit. Right. Yeah. I don't, I don't think people care what I would do if I was the GM of the Minnesota Vikings, you know, like that's, that's not how I attack a mock draft. It's more based off, I mean, I, and there's so many factors here. You're looking at, okay, who are free agents? Uh, who are possible cap casualties? You know, how, how are the Vikings or any team looking at their roster next year and what are the holes they need to fill? What are their draft tendencies? Uh, do they generally stay away from this position in the first round or do they really attack, you know, one of these five positions? Do they, you know, really look at first round picks as, okay, we need to get, this is where we attack edge rusher or you know, whatever position it might be. So yeah, mock drafts for me, um, and I'm pretty sure you agree, is just, you, you try to, if the draft were held tomorrow, this is one scenario how it realistically could play out. And this is going to change throughout the process because, uh, you know, there's we have a good handle on, uh, you know, these players, but we learn more and more how teams feel about uh, some of these players. Um, and that will change as we get to different points of the, of the offseason. Uh, team needs will change. Uh, philosophies will change. There's a lot of, you know, we don't even know, uh, you know, it's hard to say the Jets are going to take a quarterback at number two when we don't even know who their head coach is yet. So, yeah, there's a lot of dominoes that need to fall here that will ultimately change how the mock draft plays out. But if the if it were held tomorrow, you know, the way I attack mock draft is this is one reasonable scenario of how it could play out. Are you ready to get into it? I'm really interested yeah, to get it. into your uh, mock two. Yeah. I want to start by uh, pointing out how four quarterbacks going in the top 10 of my mock draft. And... This is going to be what we talk about the most the next few months. And I, I want to give three reasons why I think this could happen. Uh, where, you know, it's only happened once before, uh, 2018, where we had this many quarterbacks go top 10. First, I think the talent of the players is worthy. You know, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, talking to guys around the league, uh, there are some differing opinions on each player. But you don't hear anybody say, oh, I just I just don't see it with this guy or, you know, I, I just don't see this guy being a, a good NFL quarterback. So the talent of these quarterbacks, uh, I, I think that's the main reason. Number two, teams have always been willing to bet on traits early. We know that that's how guys like Jake Locker and uh, Blaine Gabbert become early first round picks. But I think it's 
even more true now when we see teams are sitting at home right now watching the playoffs and they see a guy like Josh Allen who would doing what he's doing for the Bills, the prospect that he was, the player that he's become. I think teams are more able to talk themselves into a young, high ceiling talent uh, that they can develop right now. Uh, when you have a Josh Allen, it'll be the Josh Allen effect. I think it's going to be real from team to team. And I'm not just saying you just, you know, you throw throwing darts, but, you know, you look at a, a raw player like a Trey Lance. If Trey Lance passes the interview process for you where you think he has the mental capacity to uh, operate and execute your offense, we know he's got the physical traits. So you're going to be able to talk yourself into a Trey Lance when you see a Josh Allen doing what he's doing. So that's the number two reason. And then number three, Talking to league scouts, they use the word underwhelming to describe the 2022 class of quarterbacks. And, you know, we, we know when it comes to the quarterback position, you're always looking towards future classes to try and plan out your quarterback attack. How are you going to fix this? If you're the Bears or the Jets, whoever, how are you going to attack the quarterback position? You're looking to future classes to try and plan out what you're going to do. And that doesn't mean you always, you know, evaluate it correctly. And, and you know, there are always times where, we, you know, Joe Burrow wasn't Joe Burrow, you know, before last season. So there's always going to be surprises, but not every team has the luxury of hoping a quarterback emerges. So that's another reason why I think we're going to see teams be more aggressive this year is just the early scouting for the 22 class has been a little underwhelming. So those three reasons, I think a, a good chance we see four quarterbacks going to the top 10. So bringing it back to my mock draft. Taking out Lawrence, uh, number one of the Jaguars, were the other four quarterbacks I had going in the first round. There's some interesting matches here. So of those four, is there a match that you liked the best or you think has potential for the best long-term success? The Zach Wilson one's tough because the Jets have not been an organization that have proven you know, that they can get it done. So I think we we, we kind of have to wait on that one. That one's a little tougher one. And mm-hmm. I tell you, some of his 2019 tape is just so sketchy. I, I, I can't get some of the bad throws and bad decision-making he made out. I've got to balance his fantastic 2020, which happened against teams like Texas State, Western Kentucky, Troy. It was a lesser schedule than 2019. And then, you know, the bad throws in 2019 are hard for me to get away from. So that's a little bit of a concern for me in a situation that may not be optimal. I look at fields in Atlanta, you know, to be able to grow and get better. I'm assuming Julio Jones at some point is going to be gone, but you're in good hands, clearly, with not only, to me, not only um, are you in good hands with uh, Calvin Ridley, but also Gage. I think Russell Gage is turning into a really good player. I think you could throw another player in there, and you're playing indoors. I think that's a good spot for him. The best spot to me is Trey Lance, but that's relative, and here's why. I think very highly of Matt Rule. I think he's one of the sharpest coaches in the league, and I think his understanding of how to handle the quarterback position uh, is is very important. Trey Lance is going to come in, and he's going to be the best quarterback in this draft. And remember I said this, one year at North Dakota State, and the guy that you're going to hear the most about when it comes to preparation and his ability to operate on the board uh, when teams interview him is going to be Trey Lance. Trey Lance sets his own protections. Trey Lance studies the game and does cut-ups more than anyone. It's required at North Dakota State. That's what Randy Hedberg, the quarterback coach, and the passing game coordinator, he demands that. And so the quarterbacks who come out of there are very sharp, and he is extremely sharp. So I think that's going to really – I'm glad you mentioned that because that's going to play into why Matt Rule, I think, is going to fall in love with him and say, look – We'll keep Teddy Bridgewater here, and we'll let Trey Lance learn behind him. We're not in a hurry. Now, it'd be great if he could have Joe Brady the entire time, but I think Joe Brady's going to be too hot a name. And, you know, the only downside is I'm not sure Trey Lance is ever going to really get to to work with uh, uh, with Joe Brady more than maybe a year if, if, if he gets drafted in this particular spot. So I would say, to me, I think Trey Lance with – uh, Matt Rule as the head coach quarterback combination is a really good combination. Yeah, and I do like that as well. And a big part of it is the culture they're building there and the type of guys they're looking for. And, you know, we saw Matt Rule and that uh, that franchise go all defense in last year's draft. All defense. This year, 
it's time to address the offense and, you know, uh, go with an offensive tackle, maybe get that quarterback of the future. And it's going to be interesting to see how they how they really attack that. Um, and, you know, the other thing that, you know, we don't have in this mock draft is just what kind of movement we're going to see. Teams moving around to uh, get position. Are we going to see uh, the Patriots or another one of these teams try to get in front of Carolina at eight for one of these quarterbacks? It's, it's really going to be interesting. Uh, so I, I had Mac Jones at 24 to Pittsburgh. A lot of split opinion on this one. I agree with you. I don't necessarily scout Mac Jones as a clear-cut first-round quarterback. I think it just depends on the situation because, uh, you know, we, we talked about it several times. In the right spot, you know, I, I think if there's enough around him, he can be a productive NFL player. Uh, it's just, is that what you want in the first round? And, you know, what happens when you're you know, something goes wrong and you lose a wide receiver due to injury or, you know, your left tackle or whatever. It's can he do enough to overcome that um, as a quarterback? Uh, the physical traits are very average, but the way he processes, the way he sees the field, the way he's very quick with uh, his ability to read and make decisions, it's very impressive. And so it's Mac Jones is definitely one of the more tougher uh, quarterback evaluations. And when you look at the back half of this year's draft, uh, the uh, the draft order, there are a lot of teams that need a quarterback. You look at Washington, uh, they're at 19. The Bears, what are they going to do? The Steelers, the Colts, uh, potentially the Saints. There's a lot of spots where you could potentially see a team talking themselves into Mac Jones. I could see that. The Steelers are concerned specifically because they're not, they can't run the ball now. I, you know, they've yeah. just gotten away from it. They're not committed to it. And Mac Jones needs a rushing attack. You can't just stick him out there and say, you know, go go light it up. Go throw the ball 45 times. You'll be great. I mean, that's not – he's got to play off the running game, and and that goes for most quarterbacks. It's rare when you have a player who can do it with with an entire element of the offense shut down. So that they one's can a get a running tough. back. Right? I mean, they, they could get a, you know, maybe a Javante Williams in, on day two or a Trey Sermon 3-4. And we, we, we know they had the yeah. receivers, right? So – the offensive line now that that's a little bit of a question mark with as they they are getting older and so yeah it, it's tough because I don't think there's a perfect there's nothing to be close to what he had at Alabama in terms of just everything being uh, perfect around him but it, it's 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 tough I mean these are the type of conversations that each one of these teams are going to have to have uh, when they discuss these quarterbacks specifically Mac Jones but I'm saying that's a that's a very specific conversation where you say okay. If we're drafting Mac Jones here, then our commitment in this draft and through free agency, uh, well, free agency would have happened, but our our commitment must be to fix the running game. That is our priority number one, and Mac Jones is just a part of our rebuild at the quarterback position. Um, It's not not to diminish his importance, but you can't have one without the other. To me, it is a game plan the Steelers need to have. They have to really have a hard conversation. To me, it's actually an easy conversation. We've got to figure out what our game plan is to replace Ben, and we've got to recommit to the running game. Does that mean offensive line changes? Does that mean running back changes? I think it means both, potentially. And certainly from a philosophical standpoint, when and if you get Ben Roethlisberger out of the building, I think you're going to have an easier time to to run the ball. Because Ben has been anti-run for years and years. From dad, my time my dad coached for the Steelers, he's just a guy that believes in himself, which is awesome. But he's going to get away from the run if you if you let him. And we saw that this year. Is they just he just has a hard time wanting to commit to the run. So when they switch quarterbacks they better have a plan in place for their running game to be front and center. And, uh, and, and, and that needs to start taking place this year with or without, with or without Mac Jones, they, the Steelers have to fix the running game. So yeah, four quarterbacks, I would say is the max in the first round. I don't think Trask is going to get there. I could be wrong, but four I just five, don't think I'll max. Tr- uh, yeah. I mean, I just don't think Trask can get there. I think four right. is going to be the max that we end up seeing, especially with the amount of, of, of cornerbacks uh, that you have in. And I frankly think you have at least one edge rusher outside of the first round, and we can get to that in a little bit. I think this is going to be a sneaky deep edge rusher uh, draft as well. Mm-hmm. It's just so many of the guys are you have to project. Right. Yeah, we might not see any pass rushers go top 10, but then there's going to be a run on those guys where they go pretty quickly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, so let's, let's start at the top of this mock. We'll hit on a few of these picks. Um, Devontae Smith at number three. Uh, now, this isn't recency bias or, you know, just saying, or, you know, Devontae Smith had one of the best receiving seasons we've ever seen at the college football level. Uh, right. Just phenomenal. This isn't really just only based on that. But when you look at the Dolphins at number three, Let's take out all the Deshaun Watson rumors here and just let's say they hypothetically they're moving forward with Tua as their starter. They have to figure out, okay, what's the how are we going to make our quarterback better, help him take that next step? The biggest thing for Tua is trying is figuring out the difference between college open and NFL open. At Alabama, he was so used to everything being defined and having a clear target, no one within two yards of his intended receiver. At the NFL level, it's not like that. NFL Open is so different than what he's used to uh, at, at the college level. And so he needs to figure out what NFL Open looks like. And a guy that can help him do that is reuniting Devontae Smith and Tua. Devontae Smith being a guy that can get open, who's got elite ball skills, that's going to help your quarterback. And so that was the main reason. I'm not saying that absolutely Devontae Smith should be drafted top five or he's absolutely the better prospect than Jamar Chase, not saying that. But for this mock, the way it played out, I think it makes sense if Miami went this direction. And I want everyone listening to think about this, what what Dane's talking about, NFL Open. Let's take a look at Tua. Tua threw slants to Henry Ruggs, who runs about a 3-6-40. He had Jerry Judy breaking off college cornerbacks with routes that were unstoppable. He had Devontae Smith doing everything in phenomenal hands. He had Najee Harris. He had an offensive line that had Jedrick Wills on it last year, uh, along with Leatherwood, Dickerson. I mean, the same offensive line, basically. He didn't face a tremendous, and I know that people are going to, when I say this, they're going to try to start racking their brain and, and, and come up with a way to counter this. Tua did not face real college adversity at Alabama. Sure, he faced some when Jay, when, Hertz had to come in and bail him out. And of course he bailed Hertz out similarly in the, uh, in a, in a championship game and won a championship, but he didn't face adversity on a game in game out basis based on his protection, running game players getting open. Right. Right. So things were easy. So he lived a, a relatively entitled quarterback life. It was, it was, it was great. It was great. He had, um, I mean, he's thrown to Devontae Smith, Waddle rugs, and Judy, go find me an NFL <laughs> wide receiving core that's going to have four, that had four former first rounders. That's what he threw to. Now, and, and by the way, in a good scheme, in a very good passing scheme. Now let's take a look at at uh, at uh, Justin Herbert. Okay, a guy who I had below. I saw great flashes, but I had him below Tua. Here's right. what he had: inconsistent rushing attack, solid offensive line. He had wide receivers who simply had a hard time getting open. He faced adversity. He faced adversity on the field. He faced adversity at certain positions that he had to have. When he got to the Chargers, it wasn't a problem. Things like he he, he upgraded. He upgraded 
to the wide receivers he had with the Chargers. I'm not sure it was a huge upgrade. Mm-hmm. I don't think, it was not an upgrade for Tua. It mm-hmm. was not an upgrade for Devontae Parker and Preston Williams. It's not. It was not an upgrade, and certainly by the end of the year, it was a disaster with the injuries. But that was not an upgrade. He faced adversity, and he struggled to get through adversity. We made the same comments about, you know, if we looked at um, – uh, Dwayne Haskins, for example, Haskins, yeah, 50 touchdowns. That's awesome. That's amazing. A, he made a bunch of easy throws in the, in, in college as well. A bunch of easy throws. That's what his one year as a starter looked like to him throwing to open wide receivers and having the best talent in the big 10. Then you go and, and we've got high grades on, on Haskins. Well, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I had a pretty, I had a pretty good, pretty solid grade on Haskins. I, I did then too. We, then we look at Josh Allen. Ah, oh, man. Josh Allen is, you know, he's not accurate. He's just not accurate. He's too slow. He doesn't throw in. He doesn't anticipate the windows. He'll just airmail stuff. All of a sudden, he gets to the pros, and he faced adversity, right? Weather adversity. He faced talent adversity. He, he, he didn't have the guys around him that were equal to the players across from him um, all that often. And then he gets into the pros, and, you know, lo and behold, right off the bat, like, oh, this Josh Kelly, this Josh Allen guy's got a little something to him. You get him John Brown, Smoke Brown. Oh, wait a minute now. Josh Allen is is starting to become a little bit of a player. You give him Stephon Diggs the next year. Josh Allen is an MVP candidate. You understand what we're saying here? When you have adversity, when you face some level of adversity, and it can be different for different players, but you can't assume that somebody who thrives with a kick-ass lineup full of a ton of weapons is going to do the same when they get into difficult situations. I'll give you an example, Sam Darnold, Sam Darnold's got into a situation. I don't know how many people could have, who could have thrived. Honestly, I think very few, I think Deshaun Watson and, and, and maybe Pat Mahomes, you know, have their ability, but they could have only done so much with that. And I just think that you have to consider the situation a player stepping into and what have they been through in their career that has them ready to deal with the adversity they will face as a rookie in the NFL and, and adversity for Dwayne Haskins was not only, you know, dealing with the things that he hadn't had experience dealing with in the pros. It was also, what are you going to do with more time on your hands and more money on your hands? What are you going to do as a pro? Are you a leader of men? Do you have the ability to, to take all the the trappings of success and put it aside so that you still keep football first. These are all questions that have to be asked. And Dane, I know that's something we don't talk about a lot, but NFL teams talk about it all the time. They obsess about what will this guy be with more money and more time until you can answer that. You don't know. You can't feel good about the guy you're about to give a bunch of money to and give the keys to your organization to. Right. And, you know, like a, a guy like Dwayne Haskins, uh, there were whispers of uh, just how well he'd be able to adapt to NFL professional life. And I, on draft day, when I found out he was charging uh, people to enter the bowling alley or whatever it was for his draft party, I, that right there told me, OK, I, I just I'm not I might I might be wrong on Dwayne Haskins because if his priority is that and not you know enjoying this moment that he's trying to make money off of it like okay I don't know where his priorities are and that's kind of how it's how it's played out I mean it's just it, it's it's a conversation that is hard to have because there's so many variables involved and it's not the same for every player it's not it, there's not like a a defined checklist for every player where it's just, you have to, you know, it's just, it's every player is so different. Their upbringing is different. Their journey to this level is different and what they've encountered their adversity on and off the field is different. Cause I mean, Tua had plenty of adversity with the injury stuff, but on the field, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, it was a, uh, a situation. I mean, you can say, you could almost say something similar with, with Justin Fields because of, that off the Ryan Day offense is sure it, it it creates so many opportunities for open receivers and you know I think it's that's why like Justin Fields could he uh, you know there's no debate he's coming out for the draft but if he were considering going back and getting better I would say that it, it's probably not in his best interest because I think he's almost hit his ceiling for what he can do in that in that offense. Uh, you know, it, it's it, the the issues with Justin Fields, I don't think are going to get better with another year because, you know, it's just it's that offense is not going to help him do that. So it's almost better right. for him to go get some NFL coaching now. So, yeah, this is it, it is a 
very interesting and uh, very time intensive conversation to have because it's there's so many layers here. It's like with every single uh, you know topic or you know point we make, it just opens up five other ones that we could go down and really dive into. So it's something that we we'll save it for another day. But that's just I, I think you're absolutely right. It and I agree with you. And that's the long way of saying why why I have Devontae Smith going three because if they're gonna commit to Tua long term. Get him help, and I think Devontae Smith could absolutely be that guy. And just, just one quick follow up. Adversity, as you mentioned, can be different. Like guys who have right. gone through adversity in their personal lives develop a certain mental toughness. There's a, there's an on field adversity, of, of having things harder for you as a quarterback. Then there's the adversity of do you have the ability to overcome difficult challenges, a three-game losing streak, fans questioning your ability to lead a team. So there's different levels of adversity that get you ready from a mental toughness standpoint. And then I think there's football adversity that gets you ready for things to potentially be easier in the NFL Mm -hmm. or a lot harder in the NFL. And I think that's something you have to um, consider as well. Um, So I just wanted to make that point. There are different, yes, fighting through injury. A, a parent dying. I mean, there's there's different types of adversity that everyone goes through. So I do want to make that distinction that just because one guy hasn't, you know, Tua didn't go through the same football adversity that um, Josh Allen went through, that doesn't mean that he hasn't gone through adversity in his life. So I just want to make right. that very clear. Yeah, no, that that's absolutely fair. Um, okay, so moving around uh, down to the top ten, Cowboys at number ten. I have them going Rashawn Slater, a tackle from Northwestern, and I tell you, I, I, Cowboys fans are so conditioned to this having to be defense that a lot were not fans of this pick. Uh, but I I think Rashawn Slater is exactly what this Cowboys team needs. Tyron Smith, you don't know what his future holds at left tackle. But Rashawn Slater is the type of versatile lineman who could step in and play guard. If Leo Collins gets hurt, gets hurt again, he can uh, kick out and play right tackle. And then he is eventually, whether that's this year, next year, whenever, he is your long-term answer at left tackle uh, for Tyron Smith. So, yes, the defense needs a lot of help uh, for Dallas, but so does that offensive line. And I think Rashawn Slater would be perfect uh, at that spot. I agree. And Dallas was at their best when they really established the run and their Mm -hmm. offensive line was considered the best in the game. So getting Zach Martin back, and you know what? Giving some competition for Connor Williams. Connor Williams, your your job is on the line. Uh, Lyle Collins... You know, maybe you bump inside to guard and Rashawn Slater's out at right tackle. Uh, Hey, maybe Rashawn Slater, even though he's probably going to have sub 33 inch arms, maybe he ends up being the the replacement. As you mentioned, for Tyron Smith, you can end up getting away from his contract and and you go in a different direction. But I think he's a he's a he's a four for one player, both guard spots, both tackle spots. I, I like the pick because you are strengthening something that needs to be strengthened, and that's the Cowboys' offensive identity. And that doesn't mean that the Cowboys can't just pound the defensive side of the ball in the, in the rest of the draft if they want to. This is going to be hard for me, I'm sure, when I do my first mock draft. Kyle Pitts. Yep, the next pick at number 11. Okay, Kyle Pitts, you have 11. Now, where do you have him in your ranking of your top you know, 50 players? Uh, he's somewhere top 10. I mean, he's, he might be top five. I, I have, that's actually my goal. This, the, the rest of this week is to sit down and do my top 100. Um, uh, he, he's somewhere in the top seven. Yeah. He's in my top four. Okay. And I like him a lot. I think he's going to change the, I think he's going to be a unique matchup problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, his ability to separate and, and, open up his ability. His ball skills are phenomenal. He's not a very good blocker. He's willing, but he's just, I think you've got to keep him off the, off the line of scrimmage and let him be a space blocker where he does, he can use his athleticism to wall off and stock block and things like that. But I just think from an offensive standpoint, the weapon he's going to offer you size, speed, ball skills. I just think it's off the charts. He's going to really be difficult to match up with. You need an Isaiah Simmons you know, that type of guy to match up with them because it's not, it almost has to be a specialty safety because corners are going to be too small. Uh, well, a lot of corners are going to be too small. Linebackers are not going to be 
talented enough, I don't think, to stick with him man to man. And so I think it's going to have to be, you know, maybe bigger, bigger safeties who have good athleticism. So I, I think he, he's a wild card inside the top 10 of the draft. It's just, it's always hard to play safeties, Dane. I mean, I'm sorry, tight ends, Mm -hmm. because we live in a world now where it's not, it's not just the wise anymore. It's, and some guys aren't very good blockers, but they still have unbelievable value because they're big pass catchers. So he's going to be a very tricky one. Do you think Pat Sertan is this? So Caleb Farley, you've got as the number one cornerback at Denver at nine. How good do you feel about that over Sertan? And tell me why you did that over Sertan at 12 for San Francisco. Because Sertan in San Francisco, that's a match made in heaven. It really is. And I, to me, I think Farley's the better prospect. I think Sertan's the better player right now. I mean, he started as a true freshman for Nick Saban as a, at corner. I mean, this, this guy knows how to play corner. Uh, you look at his pedigree, his dad being coached by his dad. Um, you know, there, there's a lot about the position that is, he's very advanced for a rookie um, or soon-to-be rookie in the NFL. But he's, he's closer to a 4-5 athlete than a 4-3 athlete. And if he has a misstep, if he has a false step, uh, he, he's going to have a tougher time recovering. And so that won't be what exactly every team's looking for. Um, and so that for that reason, I would not be surprised at all if uh, Farley is the first corner drafted because he is a better athlete. He does have a little more twitch, better long speed. Uh, he's only been playing the position for a few years. So, you know, he needs to, you know, he's not on the same level as Sertan in terms of the, the processing and uh, just his uh, mental ability to play the position. But I was pleasantly surprised with Farley in terms of uh, his instincts for a player who has not been playing the position very long. So I think when you look at Denver, I, I think they could potentially go with uh, with Farley for that fit. Where uh, Sertan, I don't have him going too much. You know, what three picks later, I, I love that fit for uh, San Francisco. Gregory Rousseau at fourteen to Minnesota. Did you get a Daniil Hunter vibe off of him? Yeah. Where you just think. Is that is that where you went with that? Where you know he's de- he, he's got some developing and experience to go, but he could be one of those young Colts that turns into a stallion. Right, right. And you know, Mike Zimmer is it is just eating away at him this entire offseason. How just you know the lack of life that that pass rush had this year. I mean, it, yeah. it is it is just eating away at him. And so uh, the chance, because in this scenario, uh, no pass rushers off the board in the first thirteen picks. So Minnesota's got a chance to draft the best one in on their board. Um, and I think it could be Rousseau when you just look at the traits and, uh, you know, just all the growing that, yeah, he has to do. But the fact that he's not near a ceiling right now, that's got to get you excited as, as a football coach or an evaluator about what he could be. Sorry, real quick. I want to go back to Pitts real quick with the Giants. Yeah, uh, this... Uh, you obviously I, have him get. Are you are you just going to go death by tight ends uh, with Evan Ingram? Or are you projecting him out of there? Or what do you want to do? And it's tough because Evan Ingram technically is a Pro Bowler this year, but yeah. the drops are uh, way too much. He's entering the final year of his deal. Um, I think that when you look at Pitts, you know why can't you line him up out out wide uh, as a wide receiver? I, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And he's going to he might not outrun every single corner. But his leaping ability, his hand-eye coordination, he doesn't need to have perfect separation against a corner on the outside. He will feast on those back shoulders or those jump balls down the field. You line up in the slot against a linebacker or a safety, and he's going to create that separation. He'll win over the middle of the field. I mean, I agree with you. He's There's not many guys like Kyle Pitts, and there's going to be a lot of people that push back on Kyle Pitts when you project them to when you project them to the Giants or the Cowboys or no matter where you project him in your first round mock, there's going to be pushback. But people need to understand he's not your just run of the mill tight ends. He's just a different breed. And just watch the Raiders offense, how they use Darren Waller. That's what you have with a Kyle Pitts. And so, you know, I, I've i been going back and forth with Giants fans uh, the last few days about that. And it's just, uh, if you're looking for a playmaker, if that's your number one goal, it doesn't have to be uh, exclusively a wide receiver or exclusively this or that. You can find a weapon like a Kyle Pitts and use him in different ways. And I, I think they're kind of, a lot of Giants fans are burnt because Evan Ingram is supposed to be that. But Kyle Pitts is far superior than Ingram or uh, Fant or some of these other quote-unquote hybrid tight ends we've seen in, in the last few years. 
I think Kyle Pitts is one of the most exciting, talented tight ends to come into the league since uh, Kellen Winslow Jr., who I yeah. thought was a phenomenal talent and a much better blocker than Pitts. But here's the thing with Pitts. To me, Pitts is top three or four talent in, yep. in this year's draft. And think of it, if you're having a hard time wrapping your head around it, if you're a fantasy football player, think about this. When you are in your fantasy football draft, and you're drafting your wide receivers, and let's say it comes up to the tight end position, and you got your little cheat sheet there, you already know that once you get past Darren Waller and Travis Kelsey and uh, who, who else am I missing right now? Um, top tight ends. I'm trying to think Kittle. of uh, yeah, George Kittle. There's going to be three or four, and once that's over, you know that you're you you got a huge drop off in terms of production. You, this, you you need to think that way when we talk about Pitts because what Pitts is going to do is he's going to be one of five or six players who have the rare ability to become a dominant wide receiver at the tight end position. Darren Waller was a thousand yard receiver again, a thousand yard quote unquote tight end if you want to call him that. He was just a big wide receiver who's even faster than Pitts when he was at Georgia Tech, and he fell into some issues with drugs, and he got himself together. And the talent that I saw flash on tape when I first wrote him, it, it, it's it's to the forefront, and it's gone well beyond that. With Pitts, once again, you're going to have one of – I will say this. I think it's one of four players, Waller, Kittle, Kelsey, and Pitts, who can, who can create su such substantial problems that now you have – an advantage that few other teams in all of the NFL, three other teams have that advantage, San Francisco, Kansas city, by the way, two Super Bowl teams last year and uh, the Raiders with, with Waller. So now you throw pits on your offense. Very, very few teams can have that type of impact from a big slot. You can move that guy. He can line up outside. He can move line up as a big slot. He can line up in line and get his release off the line. And what that allows your play callers to do is to create schemes to scheme them into coverages that are favorable for Kyle Pitts. So there's so many things when we talk about Kyle Pitts going somewhere, there's so many ways that he will impact the game based on the intelligence of his offensive coordinator and the creativity that you should never downplay a freaky guy like this who is a matchup nightmare. Yeah. No, and look, it's 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 really a fascinating conversation just because we've never seen a guy like this uh at the top of the draft before. So I understand why some are pushing back on it because we just haven't seen it before. But it's just because guys like this are are truly rare. Um, so it, it, it will be really, really interesting. Um, I want to get through some more of these picks in the first round and then maybe even in the... Because this is a two-round mock, so let, let's hit on a few more of them. Awusu Koromoa to, to the Raiders. This is a player I know you have done more work on um, recently. What do you think about him, first of all, falling to 17, but also his fit with uh, the Raiders and how he should be best used at the next level? We'll see if there's a combine, but he needs to come into his pro day, his combine, whatever it's going to be. He needs to be in the 225 range is what he needs to get to. He's going to run exceptionally fast. He's one of the fastest linebackers I've ever seen. Well, he's one of the most explosive from a quick twitch trigger uh, burst is one of the most explosive I've seen, along with uh, Micah Parsons, who's also in this draft. But I was blown away by by uh, Coromoa, and you know I'm a I'm kind of a, a, a Chris Ballard disciple in terms of how I look at players, and I've learned under him uh, for years and years knowing Chris, and I really I really am a big believer in traits and rare athletic traits, and when I watch tape on him. I, I couldn't believe the movement skills. He moves around the field like a running back. He is angry and aggressive the way he plays to the point of being out of control at times. He is um, his burst and trigger. He's going to be able to get into gaps on outside zone. When he sees it, he's going to be able to shoot into some gaps and completely disrupt certain blocking schemes because he's got the mindset. Some guys don't have that attack and trigger fearless mindset. He does. He will take it downhill in a heartbeat. He can guard, he can guard, uh, running backs and tight ends in space, man to man. And he can also line up over certain slot receivers as well. Uh, his range is phenomenal. And I think he has tremendous blitz potential. What I see from him is a guy who plays out of control at times. He'll overrun and overflow his fits and, and you know, his leverage in, in terms of as a tackler. But what I think he's going to be on the next level with his 
play demeanor and his traits, I think he is going to be an incredibly impactful defender. And if I had him at 17, I would rush the card up there with no, he's in my top five players of this year's draft. And I think extremely highly of what he's going to become because he is a, I think he's going to be a, another version of Levante David only with rare blitz potential as well. I think he is going to be a dominant blitzer. And my comp on him was actually Derwin James, because I think it's, I, I can't say, I can't say Levante. And of course I'm going Derwin without the injuries and the potential of Derwin. And I could say Levante David, but you know, Derwin can play linebacker. Derwin can blitz. We know he can rush the quarterback. Derwin's got some alpha mentality to him for sure. And he is a big hitter. And that's what I think care and, and Derwin can cover. So that's really kind of what I think Karamoa is, is he's a continuing in the hybrid linebacker mold. And, and the question's going to be, can he carry a little more weight? Um, Darius Leonard plays at about 218, 215 to 220 in low 220s. So I don't want to hear about 220, can't play in the NFL. 220 can play in the NFL. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Um, I the he's not there with his instincts just yet, but his no. read react is very good. I mean, he, he's there's no overthinking things. Um, when he sees it, he goes and he goes angry. So yeah, I he's an easy player to like, and as, as long as you feel great about where he fits in your system uh, as a defensive uh, coach and, and coaching staff. Yeah. You're going to be pounding the table for this guy, uh, somewhere in the top 15, 17 picks. I, it's going to be really interesting to see where he ends up. A few other ones here, uh, Najee Harris. Uh, so if you would have told me in the summer that this guy would be pushing for first round, a spot in the first round, I would have said, eh, probably not. I mean, that's just, we had not seen a player in over his first three years that you would consider a first round talent. Uh, but here he is, comes back for a senior year. And we mentioned it before he's turned himself into a rare, uh, really a complete back. And he, his patience, his decision-making, his continued development as a pass catcher. I mean, it's all there. And when you look at the bucks, um, sitting there in the late first round, wherever it ends up being, Bruce Arians really, really wants that pass catching back in his offense. And Leonard Fournette's kind of handling that role right now, but good bet he's not back next year. Um, you know, they, the Bucks are ready to draft uh, Antonio Gibson in the second round last year until Antoine Winfield was available for them. And so they went with Winfield instead, and they ended up taking Kashawn Vaughn from uh, Vanderbilt a, a, a round later, which was a little bit of a reach move on their part. So as they go next year, even with Ronald Jones, uh, you know, being productive when he's on the field, he's in a contract year. Vaughn has, I don't think, has done enough to persuade them from not taking a guy like Najee Harris. I think that would be a great fit there uh, in the late first round for a Bucks team that's ready to, you know, they're ready to contend right now. I mean, they are contending right now, but as they look towards 2021, they're not looking to rebuild or, you know, they're, they're looking for an impact player from day one. Uh, so what do you think about that matchup for Tampa Bay? I like it. I like it. It's a three down back. It's a tough guy. You know, he's a little bit in the mold of the guys that Bruce, Bruce Arians and his offense. He likes the David Johnson types, right? When David came right. out, he was a pass catcher. And one thing we've seen with Najee Harris is he can, he can certainly function as a pass catcher. He's a big back. That's something else that, that Arians likes. You know, Aaron's is kind of funny. He likes to play the vertical game, but he also likes to run power typically, uh, you know, more of a downhill rushing attack. He doesn't get too cute with the outside zone stuff. And so, uh, which I don't think is cute. I think it's good football personally, but that's not what Bruce does. So I think uh, Najee Harris is a, is a good fit for what he, what he typically looks for, which is a guy who is a three down player with good size. So yeah, I like the fit there. I like the fit. I don't know if they would go with running back. I think they might see that a little bit as I like the fit. I just think, I wonder if, if Jason light wouldn't see that as, although he is an immediate impact player, mm -hmm. which I do want to keep that, you know, that is a good point. Um, anything they do is going to be, I don't know how long Bruce Arians is going to coach. Right. Honestly, I, I really don't. I think he and Tom may be tied at the hip. They may stay in the game as long as the other one stays in the game. And with that said, then your window of opportunity may be one year. It may be right. this year and next year. Yep. So do you want to make a first-round pick that helps you immediately? Yeah, you, you know, honestly, that's why you would draft uh, 
you know, you'd probably draft a, or you might draft a Najee Harris ahead of uh, drafting a Jason Oway if he's on the board. It might be, mm -hmm. you know, because Jason's got more long-term talent, but he's going to take a little while. That's that's funny. That Those are the two players I was debating at 27 in my mock draft, Jason Oway, because they, they need a pass rusher as well. Jason Pierre-Paul is not getting any younger. Uh, Shaquille Barrett, we'll see uh, if he's back next year. So Oway was actually who I had there initially, but then the more I thought about it, I, you know, for the reasons just we talked about, went with Najee Harris, and so I had Oway falling uh, into the early second to the Falcons. But yeah, this is, it's really interesting. I think this running back group with ETN and Harris, it's a lot like last year where, yeah, I, I think that you could make the, an easy argument they belong in the first round. But I mean, don't be surprised if they fall to the second either. I mean, you look at Jonathan Taylor, uh, one of the most productive running backs in college football history, goes to the combine, runs a 4-3. I mean, there's so much to like about Jonathan Taylor. He falls to pick number 41. Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, yeah, could easily see them both going the first round. But like last year, J.K. Dobbins and DeAndre Swift and uh, Taylor and Akers, I mean, these guys could easily uh, be there in the early second round, which would be uh, good news for teams picking in the early second, like the Jets or the Falcons or uh, the several other teams that could be in the market uh, for a running back. Uh, before we go, I wanted to point out what the Jaguars did in this mock because they have four picks in the top 45, uh, a chance to get better quickly uh, with some of these 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 players. Trevor Lawrence at number one, obviously. Uh, and then in the later uh, second round, they have uh, the Rams pick, which we don't know officially right now or uh, yet, but right now it's 25. I've taken Christian Barmore, defensive tackle. Easy upgrade uh, there with what uh, Jaguars have at, at defensive tackle. The first pick in the second round, Wyatt Davis, offensive guard from the Ohio State, who not a perfect player by any means, but I think he's an upgrade um, uh, over uh, AJ Khan at uh, at guard for the Jaguars. And then uh, later at number pick 45, midway through the second, Pat Fryermuth. And it gives them a tight end who can help them uh, be a chain mover and be that a little bit of a safety valve for Trevor Lawrence. So four picks that early, a chance to get better really quickly. That's one of the reasons that having these amount of picks and one of them being Trevor Lawrence is why you hear Urban Meyer's name mentioned, why you hear the yeah. amount of money mentioned. Do you think um, – I'm, I'm of the opinion that it's smart to continue to put – I don't think there's anything wrong with putting college football offensive elements – bringing that into the pro game for these college quarterbacks. Because if you are, if you're taking a college quarterback who has thrived with a certain type of offense, I don't know why you wouldn't have elements of that. You know, the RPO is an example. It's works great for a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, it's you have college to. football yeah. concepts are working. It's there's less reads, less progressions. You simplify, you make it one or two reads, half field reads, making it easier for these guys. Cause these guys, a lot of them, while they played football longer, they're not as football savvy from a standpoint of getting through progressions and understanding it's they, they've been taught a simpler brand of football, but guess what? It's an effective brand. It scores a lot of points. So I wonder if having a Trevor Lawrence, who, by the way, does not do a ton of full field reads over there at Clemson. I wonder if having a guy like Urban Meyer as his head coach might actually be a great, you know, continue continue that same vibe of having an extended college football feel with a guy like Urban Meyer, um, that might be a really great fit for Trevor Lawrence. And then for Urban Meyer, if you see you, you get Trevor Lawrence and all these picks in the first two rounds, oh man, we can, we can get better really quickly is what I'm thinking. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. If you're a, a team waiting for that quarterback to come to the league, that's pro ready with pro concepts. And it just, you're going to be waiting for a long time because they're just, it's just not how things work. Uh, college coaches, their number one goal is to not develop NFL quarterbacks. Their number one goal is to win football games, and that's putting their quarterbacks in the best position to succeed. And so if that means that that first read, it, you're going to scheme that open, then you're going to do that. And so for a Trevor Lawrence, a field, I mean, a lot of these college quarterbacks are not making consistent whole field reads where they're working their progressions and that's just that's the college game and so bringing uh, you know some element of that to the pro game 
it makes too much sense. So yeah, I, I agree with you. And it will be interesting if you know we do see a, a Dan Mullen or a Lincoln Riley or some of these other college coaches if they ever do go to the NFL, how that will uh, you know that transition what they'll bring with him with them and how that you know we saw with Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona and how how that's been going. If you have the quarterback uh, that can, can can do it, and we think Trevor Lawrence absolutely could do that. Urban Meyer would definitely be an interesting fit, so I'm I'm here for it. I hope it happens, just because it would be uh, uh, really entertaining to see and really make us think some more about how we how we look at the quarterback position and the coaching uh, head coaching position. So, uh, all right, well that's gonna do it for this week's uh, prospects of pros. Please, everybody, go uh, check out the mock. Uh, talk to me about it. Let me know your thoughts. Would love to have some more conversation about it. Uh, you can find Lance on Twitter at Lance Zerline. I'm at DP Brugler. As always, we really appreciate it when you subscribe, rate, comment, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you.